to do a Kid City Live in Gulu Village in La Mendadera here. We got to the village and the kids were so excited. They were already lining up, getting ready for us. And uh, we started off with um, talking about what our virtue was and um, kind of what Kid City Live is all about. And it's a place for kids and for adults to come together and um, learn a virtue and learn about um, what God can be doing in their life. Today we are talking about a virtue that is a way that we can respond to how awesome God is. Responsibility! Responsibility! Can you guys say that? Yeah. Responsibility! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the only dog I've seen in all of Uganda. They were kind of shy at first coming up and um, weren't quite sure what, you know, a volunteer was, but... Um, by the time that we had uh, the second game, they all rushed up because they were so excited and they knew that they were gonna get a prize. We were handing out t-shirts. so cool to meet many of the kids that went on that trip. One of the kids that went actually uh, accepted Christ as his Savior on the trip, and a lot of incredible things happened and impacted. You're going to be hearing more about that in the future. By the way, that's the village where we raised the money at Christmas to build the church. So the, all those kids there, all those orphans would have a place to worship on the weekends. Right now, they just worship out in the rain and in the sun, and that place is being built as we speak. So again, thank you for your generosity. Now, if you've been in this series, we've learned that just before Jesus departed planet Earth and returned to heaven, he pulled together his followers, and he gave them some marching orders. And this is what he gave this. They were Jews at that time, right? It, had, it hadn't crossed over to Gentiles yet, so this is pretty much a Jewish message now. But that little band of followers, this is what he told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then this is what's going to happen. You're going to be my witnesses in, Jer in Jerusalem. And sure enough, sure enough, for two years, these followers, after Jesus departed and went back to heaven, for two years, they remained in Jerusalem. They, 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 they put down their roots. They cultivated some relationships. Uh, they began to learn what it meant to hang together, to be a body, to be a church. But mainly, they learned how to build community and how to influence the people right there in Jerusalem. But Jesus says it can't stop there, verse 8. It's got to go now to Judea and, and Samaria. In other words, you can't keep it to yourself. You can't hoard it. You can't contain it there. You've got to get it out to the world around you. And I don't think they were any different than us. We like, our, we like to be comfortable. We like things. That we like our routine. We like our system. They weren't exactly that excited about moving out of Jerusalem. So God helped them a little bit. He, he, he prodded them. And he began to push them. In fact, he even allowed persecution in their midst. And now to flee persecution, this small community of believers, they begin to pull up their roots, basically to flee persecution. But by fleeing Jerusalem, without even realizing what they're doing, they are now spreading this life-changing message of Jesus Christ, right? God said, I'll use whatever I need to get it out there. And guess where they spread it to? They spread it to Judea, and they spread it to Samaria. And let me tell you why that's interesting. The Jews absolutely hated the Samaritans. Hated them. And it's because uh, the Samaritans were Jews who had intermarried. And so the, the first century Jew thought you messed up the bloodline. They called them half-breeds. They wanted nothing to do with them. So much so, if you lived in Palestine in the first century and you were a Jew and you needed to get from southern Palestine to northern Palestine, you would go miles out of the way to make sure you didn't have to walk through Samaria. That's how much the Jews in the first century hated the Samaritans. Jesus says, that's going to change. That's going to change. You're going you're to take the message to people you don't like people you hate. You're, you're going to now reach out to individuals and neighbors who aren't like you. You're going to reach beyond yourselves. You're going to get outside of your comfort zone. I'm going to make sure that it happens. But it couldn't even stop in Judea and Samaria because Jesus said it had to go to the ends of the earth. And to give you a little history lesson, they stayed in Jerusalem for about two years and then they branched out into Judea and Samaria. And if you, if you do the timeline, you find out that took about another 13 years. So 15 years after Jesus told them, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 15 years later, with the sending of Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, they begin to reach out to the ends of the earth. And when you think about it, every church in America, that is the model. That is the model that Jesus laid out for us. And it's, it's been that way. I mean, we moved here from California, a small group of people. We started in Cary, you know, that very sophisticated area of Cary. And, uh, and, and we kind of had a little good thing going there. And, and uh, we, we grew to about 1,000. We thought, we're fine at 1,000. We don't need to grow anymore. We didn't even know if we wanted to be 1,000. But we had 1,000 people. And God says, no, we're not going to let it stay at 1,000. Because I got a businessman who doesn't even go to your church, but he's going to give you some property on Buck Jones Road, and you're going to build a building. And sure enough, it happened, and then we grew to 5,000. And we thought, well, certainly that's enough. No church needs 5,000 people. I mean, let them go somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? But then God says, no, no, no. Man, you got some serious heathens out in Fuquay, Verena. You know what I'm talking about? Holly Springs. So we sent 300 adults along with their 11,000 children, those families that already lived in Holly Springs. And I don't know what it is about Holly Springs people. I don't know why they have so many children. I don't think they have cable or something. But all they do is have children out there, right? 
But those 300 adults went out a couple of years ago. Now there's 1,400 adults meeting in Holly Springs High School. We thought, well, certainly that's enough. And God says, no, 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 because you got some heathen over here in West Cary and Mooresville. So we sent out another 300 adults. And I just got a text this morning. They're having the largest services they've ever had. They had 40 cars and off-site parking, first service, and they hadn't even got close to starting the service yet. And so God is blessing there, and we're reaching into that community. But that still wasn't enough because God says it's got to go to the ends of the earth. I'll never forget when we sent our first team to Haiti. And they got back and we heard the reports. And then before you know it, uh, I took the first team to Central African Republic where we drill wells. And then it was to Uganda where we help with orphans. And then it was to India. And then it was to Belize. And then it was to Trinidad. And then it was to Hungary. And we've been going to Ukraine. And now God has opened up a door for us to go into the Congo. In fact, I'm supposed to be there in a couple of weeks. But uh, they basically told us don't come because right now, if, if you're white, there's a good chance they're going to kidnap you because they assume you're white, you got money, and that somebody will pay your ransom. I'm like, they don't know my friends. They don't know my older boy. Boy, they'd be, they'd be out of luck if they kidnapped me, right? So we got to put that off for a couple of weeks. But I'll be in Uganda in just a few weeks. And God has opened up a door to South Sudan. He's now opened up a door to Zimbabwe where we're going to begin to work. And so even in our own little story, we've been in Raleigh, Cary, Fuquay, Holly Springs, West Cary, Morrisville. And now we find that we're actually getting the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Now I gave you this history lesson for one little reason. All the time at Hope, I get questions like this. Why do we go to other countries and try to impose Christianity on them? I mean, Mike, isn't it just a little bit arrogant to think that our way is the only way and that everybody else in the world is wrong? Can't we just get along? Can't we just strive for unity and peace? Can't we just learn to tolerate each other? Can't we just coexist? By the way, I hate that bumper sticker. And if you have it on your car right now, I got people going through the parking lot scraping it off, okay? Don't worry about it. They won't leave any scratches. You ought to do some research about what that bumper sticker really means, right? We, no, we're not called to coexist. But I get questions like that all the time. This is the question I get more than any other question. Mike, don't we have enough problems right here at home to worry about? I mean, have you thought about it? We've got poverty, we've got unemployment, we've got people who are homeless, we have people who are going to bed hungry, uh, we're still battling racism. Why in the world would we send people, why would we send resources all over the world when we have our own problems right here in our backyards? Well, we're going to address some of those questions this weekend. And uh, we're going to get some answers from, I think, the, the greatest missionary who ever lived. His name is the Apostle Paul. And I want to give you a little bit of background on this guy. Paul was born in Israel, brought up a Jew, you know, he was in the, in the religion of Judaism. But later on in life, right, he's spent his whole life persecuting Christians. He's on the road to Damascus. He meets Jesus. His life is changed forever. He abandons his religious roots, and he decides to embrace Jesus Christ and Christianity. In fact, he goes on to spend the rest of his life traveling around the known world, trying to get everybody else to embrace Christianity as well. Well, on one of his trips, he meets this young Greek guy named Titus. And maybe he says, hey, Titus, let's hang out a little bit. Let's go to Starbucks. Let's have a cup of coffee. And so they go. And while they're there, Paul says, let me tell you the story of how Jesus Christ changed my life. Let me tell you why I begin to embrace Christianity. And after Titus heard this story, he then turns around. He leaves his Greek background with its religious system. And he decides, I'm going to embrace Jesus Christ. I'm going to embrace Christianity as well. And he spent the rest of his life as well encouraging people to abandon their religious system and to embrace Jesus Christ and Christianity. You see a trend here, right? Well, eventually Titus ends up on the island of Crete. And he decides he wants to start a church there so he can reach the Cretans. Uh, bad bunch, tough bunch. Just the name Cretans gives you the creeps a little bit, right? Tough. In fact, the Cretans were known in that part of the world in the first century as lazy, gluttonous liars. 
I mean, if you were walking through the mall and you said, hey, you're a Cretan, fighting words, okay? That's the way it was in the first century. But while Titus is on this Isle of Crete pastoring this church, the Apostle Paul writes him a letter. That letter ends up in the New Testament as one of the books of the New Testament, not a very creative name. It's the book of Titus, right? But in this book, Paul gives Titus and us three reasons why we should spend the time, we should spend the energy, we should spend the resources as followers of Jesus Christ to make sure that the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, gets to the ends of the earth. So I want to talk about that. Let me give you the first reason, and I'll give it to you, and uh, we'll unpack it. Here's the first one, that we go to the ends of the earth. It's because the grace of God is a gift to all men. It's a gift to all men, not just us, it's a gift to all men. Let's look at what it says in chapter 2, verse 11 of Titus. For the grace of God that brings salvation, look, has appeared to what? To all men. If you had the New American Standard this tra uh, translation this weekend, it says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing what? Salvation to all men. And I point that out, I want you to understand, Christianity isn't just for Americans. Christianity isn't just for Westerners. Christianity, the gospel was given for all men, all women, all people, everywhere. And I tell you that because I sometimes think that we forget that Christianity was never designed to be a localized religion. It's not a localized religion. Many, many religions of the world are localized. Christianity is not one of those. And what I mean by that, you, you, you visit certain countries around the world and, you know, uh, most of the people in that country, in that nation, they kind of have the same religion. And if you're born in that country, it's kind of assumed that this is the religion that you will adhere to. For example, uh, if you're born in Israel, it's kind of assumed that you're going to embrace Judaism, right? If you're, if you're born in, in India, it's kind of assumed that you're going to embrace Hinduism. If you're born in, say, in Iran or Iraq, it's just assumed that you're going to be Muslim. you got to understand Christianity is different. Christianity, even from day one, never intended to be a localized religion. It has nothing to do with America. It has nothing to do with the West. It has nothing to do with Europe. According to verse 11, it's for all men, all women, all people. By the way, I think probably from time to time, uh, we need to be reminded because Americans, we kind of think that we have a corner on Christianity. I think we need to be reminded from time to time that Christianity didn't begin here, right? It began in the Middle East, as we saw, it began in Jerusalem. And thanks to Paul and other missionaries who began to spread the gospel, over a period of time, it made its way up to Europe. And after several centuries in Europe, some people decided that they wanted religious freedom and they didn't feel that they had religious freedom in Europe. So they got on some boats and they came to this country. And understand, when they came to this country, they brought the message of Jesus Christ to our shores. And if you're here this weekend, and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you got to understand, it's because somebody took the time and somebody spent the resources to make sure that the life-changing message of Jesus Christ reached the United States of America. But Christianity has nothing to do with America. We're just the fortunate recipients of what God has given to all men. In fact, I think Christianity, of all religions, is transcultural. It fits into every life. It fits into every culture in the world. And that makes sense because it says it's, it's, it's for all men. I mean, you know, even the United States, it, it's the same Jesus. It's the same gospel. We have different ways of, of acting it out and worshiping. And, and maybe it affects our mission statement and what we do. You go to some churches in America and everybody's dressed super, super nice. And, and maybe they sing hymns and that's kind of their approach to worshiping Jesus Christ. You go to other churches and... and uh, 
you know, uh, it's very liturgical. You know exactly what they're going to say before they say it, and you're all prepared because you've, you've, you've kind of been. And some people like that style of worship. Nothing wrong with that. You come to hope, and, man, it's like a, it's like a three-ring circus sometime. In fact, when those lights get spinning around, I'm afraid people are going to have seizures. That's, that's my biggest fear when the light guys start doing that kind of stuff. But you don't know what's going to go on here. But it's just the way that we express to God our worship and our love to him. But here's the deal. I have, I have worshiped with the pygmies in the rainforest in the Central African Republic on a Sunday morning. And you know what? They have the same gospel, the same life message of Jesus Christ, but how they express it, totally different. A few months ago, I was in India. I spoke to a thousand pastors who have the exact same gospel, the exact same Bible that we study from every weekend. But when it came to how they expressed it, very different. You go to Haiti, very different. But I've learned traveling around the world, there's something you will always find. This is what worship will sound like, whether you understand it or not. Jesus, which tells me, I don't know what they're saying, and I don't know what it's about, but I know what they're doing is they're worshiping Jesus. And that makes sense. Because the life-changing message of Jesus Christ fits everywhere. It is not an American thing. It's not a Bible Belt thing. It's for all the world. It's for all men. So the first reason we're involved in missions is because it was given to all men. And Jesus says, make sure you get it to the ends of the earth. Okay, so that's the first one. Here's the second one. A second reason that we take the gospel message to the ends of the earth is this. And this is so important. The grace of God contains the power and truth to set all people free from sin's control. To set everybody free from sin's control. Not just to deliver us, all people. Look what it says in verse 12. It, and that refers back to verse 11, the grace of God. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. It, the gospel, the grace of God, it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Now here's the key phrase, in this present age. In other words, and, and, and I think we feel this way sometimes, many of us became Christians because we didn't want to go to hell. I mean, even in becoming a Christian, we were, it was self-centered, right? So there's a part of us that thinks the gospel is really all about, all about going to heaven someday when we die. Certainly that's part of it, but that's not all of it. The gospel, this grace of God, is about right now. It impacts us today. To use Paul's terminology, it's this present age. And let me tell you why that's such great news. It's great news because people from every walk of life, every nation in the world, need to be set free in this life, right now, in this present age, from the power and the bondage of sin. And it is only through the power of Jesus Christ, and it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that any of us, any of us, can experience victory over sin in this life. But you got to understand, this is why we've been given the gospel. And so we have to, we have to export it. Because people need this message. I mean, look at verse 12. Look what it says. The gospel was given so that we know what is right. We know what is wrong. So that we had the power to say no to sin. It was given so that the Holy Spirit can finally help us live self-controlled lives. And regardless of where you're from, regardless of what your background is, you need those things in order for life to be what life needs to be. In fact, when Jesus Christ gave us the gospel, he gave us the only tool that can bring reconciliation to families. It is the only tool that can bring prodigal sons and daughters back home. It is the only tool that can motivate mankind to cross cultural and racial barriers so that we can actually become one. In fact, if you wanna see racial reconciliation take place in our lifetime, huh, I can tell you how you can make it happen. 
get out there and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Mike, that's awful simple. Let me show you an example of that. Colossians chapter 3, Paul again is writing a letter to a little church in Colossae. And this is a church, I mean, it, it's like the United Nations at this church, right? And, and, but they're all worshiping together. You can read Colossians 3 on your own. But it says this in verse 11. Paul says, I, as I observe your church, I realize there's no longer Greek and Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. And just so you know, these are all references to people who have absolutely hated one another for centuries. For centuries, they have been mortal enemies. But Paul says, now as I hear about your church, I realize that you're sitting beside each other, worshiping together in this little church of, in the city of Colossae. And he goes on in chapter 3 to explain why this kind of fellowship, this kind of love, this kind of peace, this kind of unity is possible. And he says, first of all, it's possible because you've gotten rid of the hostility. He says there's no more hostility between the Jews and the Greeks. By the way, just so you know, in the minds of a first century Jew, if you weren't Jewish, you weren't much. If you weren't Jewish, a Jew wouldn't eat with you, they wouldn't speak to you, they wouldn't touch you. But now here they are. Paul says you're singing together, you're worshiping together, you're learning together, you're serving beside one another. But you'll notice in verse 11, he always also refers to those who were slaves and those who were free. And that means nothing until you understand that in the first century, slaves, which historians tell us about a third of the population of Colossae was made up of slaves, slaves weren't even thought of as human beings. Aristotle said this, slaves are living tools with no rights. Quote from Aristotle. They didn't have the right to be married. They didn't have the right to have children. An owner could kill a slave, beat a slave. Nothing would be done about it. But Paul says, wow, those days are over. Now we have free and slaves sitting next to each other in this church. And then they were the barbarians. By the way, remember how I said how much the Jews hated the Greeks? The, the Greeks had that kind of hatred for the barbarians, right? In fact, the word barbarian actually comes from the Greeks. The Greeks were very snooty in the first century. They were like the French or now. And, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, so if, if the Greeks were together and someone started speaking in a language that wasn't Greek, to make fun of them, they would go, Psst, bar, 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 to mimic them. That's literally where the term barbarian came from. But the Scythians, now they're a particular interesting group of barbarians. They were thought of as the lowest of the low. They were thought of as the most barbaric. Uh, to behave like a Scythian was actually a metaphor in the first century for bad behavior. I mean, if you drank all the time, you slept around with everybody, if you kind of lived this wild and crazy, uncontrolled lifestyle, you were called a Scythian. Now we call them fraternities and sororities. But in the first century, they, 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 they were called Scythians, right? But here's the deal. This is what you got to understand about the church at Colossae. Now we have the Scythians and the barbarians, and they're sitting right next to the cultured and sophisticated. We have the uneducated sitting beside the educated. We have the powerful sitting beside the powerless. We have those who are wealthy in this world's good sitting next to those who are poor. All of these people who had been mortal enemies for centuries, they are now existing in harmony and oneness as followers of Jesus Christ. And let me ask you, what made the difference? Was it sensitivity classes? I don't think so. Was it seminars or good books? I don't think so. I'll tell you what made the difference. It was the gospel. Now, why, is, why does the gospel do those kinds of things? Well, it's because when we begin to follow Jesus and we realize finally that we have all been created equal, which means sinners. By the way, I'm getting ready to start a series right after Labor Day on the Beatitudes 
And the very first one talks about being poor in spirit. You have to get to that point where you're spiritually bankrupt. When we can get there and realize that we've all been created equal as sinners. When we realize we are really no different because every one of us, men, women, any tribe, any tongue, any nation, we all need the Savior. I think that it's only then that we find within ourselves a desire and a power, maybe, that we've never had before to reach out to those who were once our enemies and to find reconciliation. I'll tell you why. Go anywhere else in the world with the gospel. The gospel brings dignity to all people. The gospel provides the framework for healing in all nations. I am telling you what Paul told you when he wrote to the church in Titus. When he wrote to Titus, it is the only hope for this present age. It is the only hope for this world. I mean, apart from Jesus Christ and the gospel, you need to understand there are men and women on this planet whose lives will be hell on earth every day. And you need to understand something. We drill, we drill wells all over Africa. Drilling wells alone will never change that. We built Haiti, in Haiti, we've built medical clinics and school. Great stuff. Doing those kinds of things alone will never change anything. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every year investing in orphans around the world, but alone, outside the God, it won't change that. We're going to go into South Sudan with business people. It's the youngest country in the world that just celebrated its, it just celebrated its one-year birthday. And we're going to go in with business people and build businesses of integrity and businessmen and women of character from the ground floor up in that country. But I can tell you, that alone is not going to change their life. Their lives will continue to be hell on earth until somebody shares with them the liberating truth of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, just so you know, one of the things that sets Christianity apart from all other religions, and this is where it gets a little narrow and some of you are going to start getting irritated at me. Christianity is truly the only others-oriented religion. You don't have to believe me, just do your own study. Do, do it yourself. Christianity is the only truly others-oriented religion. Any other religion on planet Earth is me-oriented. It's about me trying to please God wherever and whoever he is. It's about me trying to do something with my life that makes sure that my next stop in life is better than this stop in life. I don't want to come back as a toad. I don't want to come back as a salamander. I want to make sure I get my 70 virgins in heaven. So it's about me doing my thing. So here's the deal. Even if I do something nice for you, it's really for me. Because I'm trying to better my position in whatever comes after this life. I'm trying to score some brownie points. And I'm just saying, in that system, you cannot love unconditionally. But understand, Christianity is different. In Christianity, I'm not good and I'm, I, I, I'm good and I'm kind. Not so I can go to heaven, but because I've been promised heaven. You see the difference? As a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I, I'm good and I'm kind and I do those good things. Not to earn salvation. I, I do those things because I've been given salvation. I do things that are good and kind. I give water and so I give, I, I go to the prisons. I give food. I give a cup of water. I help those who are in need. Not to earn forgiveness. I do those things because I have forgiveness. And the power of Jesus Christ now works through my life. I'm telling you, there is no unconditional love apart from the gospel, apart from the grace of God as exemplified through Jesus Christ. This is what changes the world. And it needs changing. 
If you were to go with me to the Central African Republic, you know what you would see? You would see women who get up every morning around 4 o'clock, grab these big five-gallon buckets, walk maybe a mile or two to the closest water source, get water, walk back up a hill, and take care of the family. They work the fields all day. They take care of the children. Do you know what the men do? They sit in the shade. When they walk, the women will walk 15, 20 feet behind them. Unless, if you've been in a country where there's been a war and there's the chance that there's still, still some unexploded ammunition lying around, well, in those cases, they let the women walk 15 to 20 feet in front of them. You, you figure it out. You say, well, Mike, that's just wrong. It is wrong. It's horrible. It's horrible when you see it. You know what will change that? The gospel. When men understand, oh, wait a second. Jesus Christ said, I'm to love my wife as he loved his church and was willing to give his life for it. Oh. You see, it's not an American thing. It's, it's, not, a, it's, not, a, it's not a southern thing that you're polite. It, it's a gospel thing. Hey, you know what would solve the Middle East crisis? I'm going to run for president, by the way. And uh, 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 here's what would solve the Middle, Middle East crisis. The gospel. You say, well, my, my oh, this, it's been going on forever. You, how would that, well, I'm tell you what won't solve it. Every once in a while, a president going over for a photo op. Or a secretary of state thinking they're going to get some people who've been fighting since the Bible to now negotiate and come to some peace terms. Or some Pulitzer Prize winner who's going to inject some wisdom. That's not, I'll tell you what will change it. This is why the gospel would change the Mideast crisis. Because when you're exposed to the gospel and you commit your life to Christ, then you understand what forgiveness. Then you truly understand what restoration. Then you begin to truly understand what reconciliation is all about. You see, it's in the gospel we learn things like turn the other cheek. It's in the gospel we learn principles like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's in the gospel we learn things like, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and while you're at it, make sure you're loving your neighbor as you love yourself. It is the gospel. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The word power is from the Greek word dunamis. We get our word dynamite. It just blows up people's lives when they're exposed to it. And we have that power to offer the world to the ends of the earth. The gospel has the power to set people free from sin. Here's the third reason we go to the end of the earth. It's because the grace of God includes the promise of eternity with God. And this is where it's going to get a little icky for some of you. Okay, verse 11. Icky. That's a Greek word, which means a hard. Okay, uh, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait, okay, for the blessed hope. Well, what's our blessed hope? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, that's the cross, from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good as we wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace of God includes the promise of eternity with God. This is why we have to get the message to the ends of the earth. See, this is what the gospel says. John 14, 6, Jesus did not come to say, I am a way. He didn't say that. Jesus says, I am the way. 
You say, well, Mike, that's awfully narrow. I didn't say it. I didn't write it. Jesus said, I am the way, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It was as if Jesus said, I'm it. Like it or not, I'm it. You want to have a relationship with the Father? I'm it. Do you want to avoid hell when you die? I'm it. So the reason we must be involved in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is because people die. You're not going to like this. People die and go to hell every day without Jesus Christ. And you know who made that the clearest? I think it was Jesus himself. I mean, think about it. The reason Jesus came to this earth was because he believed in hell. Right? I mean, why would Jesus leave all the splendor of heaven, read Philippians 2, why would he go through all of that, take on the form of a man, become a servant, right? Be willing to be beaten without, within an inch of his life and then be nailed to a cross for the sins of the world if there was nothing at stake, right? I, Jesus believed in hell. Go back to the very first verse you ever memorized as a kid when you went to church. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Well, that's nice. Why did he do that, though? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but they'll have eternal life instead. And that's why when you compare the grace message of Jesus Christ to what other people believe in the world, and they hear it for the first time, and I've seen it so many times, you can understand why they get so emotional when they hear it for the very first time. I mean, they're like, you're telling me that there is a God out there. There's a God out there who already loves me and wants to have a relationship with me. You're telling me there's a God who's already paid for my sin, and I don't have to earn it? I mean, that is so far into their way of thinking because of all other religions in the world, understand, they spend their entire life getting on that treadmill, getting on that hamster wheel, running and running and running, trying to find God, trying to earn God's favor, trying to earn God's love, and then they finally come to the end of their life, and this is what they tell you. You don't really know for sure. You don't really know for sure. Maybe I'm in. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I did enough. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I was good enough. Maybe I wasn't. And a person, when they've been in that kind of system, they finally hear the gospel. Man, it's like, boom, the light just goes on. And they're not resentful. They're not like, who are you to come over? No. They are so grateful. And that's why we go to the ends of the earth. We're not arrogant. We're not interfering. We're not trying to westernize the world. It's because Jesus came for the whole world and the gospel was given for the whole world and we've been given the responsibility of making sure that people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation get to hear the gospel. We've been given the responsibility of making sure that they understand the gospel and we've been given the responsibility of making sure they at least have the opportunity to accept. They may not, but at least they have the opportunity to accept the gospel and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. That's why we go. That's why we send people. That's why we sacrifice so it can happen. And I'm just going to tell you, based on this principle, some of you need to plan, make plans to get out of the country to see what God is doing in the world, to see where you can make a difference. Some of you teachers, some of you students, right now, right now, you need to begin making plans to get out of the country next summer. Some of you business people, you need to be making plans right now. Maybe you have several weeks of vacation. You need to begin planning your calendar and your budget around getting out of this country. Some of you who are getting ready for retirement. By the way, there's nothing in the Bible about retirement. 
Nothing, nowhere to, show me the verse that says, one day you've made enough money, you've worked hard enough, just play golf the rest of your life and do nothing. You know, nothing in the Bible about that. Moses began a whole new career at 80. He became the deliverer of God's people at 80 years old, right? Nothing, some of you need to rethink retirement, especially those first two or three years of retirement. And maybe what you need to pray, God, is there something out there in the world where you're moving and you want me to be involved for the next two or three years? Is there something out there, is a way you want me to share with others what you've blessed me with instead of just going to the golf course every day? Now, next weekend when you come in, and I want you to try to get here a little early, and I'm going to let you out a little earlier next week. I promise. We're going to have a bunch of booths and tables set up in the lobby of all the different mission trips we go on. And I want you to find one, and I want you to start exploring it. Some you do hands-on work. Some you work with children. Some you may help with micro-enterprise. Some you may do agroforestry. There are all kinds of opportunities. You may go to Uganda and hold babies that are just born, that the hospital's now given to the Watoto Orphanage. All kinds of things you might do. But I want you to come, and I want you to check them out. And we're going to help you. We're going to help you raise the money. We're going to help you get there. But you need to start making the plans to go. Now, this, I want you to understand this in case I haven't been clear. As long as I'm here, we will always be known as a church that sends people and resources all over the world. Because as excited as I am about what's happening in the triangle, and I, and I am excited, I mean, you know, we gave more locally last year than we've ever given. Do you know we've given so much to our community that Wake County now refers people in need to Hope Community Church because they don't have the resources anymore? I mean, that's the kind of impact, and if you come tonight to the business meeting, you'll see some of this celebrated. It doesn't mean that we, we ignore the triangle, but as much as I'm excited about what we're able to do locally, I want to be a world Christian. I don't ever want to lose sight of the fact. I, I don't ever want to lose sight of the fact that I, I am responsible and you're responsible to some degree for what God is doing all over the world. And so here's my challenge. Now that you've clapped, you're like, oh, he didn't, I didn't know he's going to challenge us. <laughs> this is what I want you to do. I want you to say, God, put up or shut up time. What do you want me to do? And, and for some of you, you, this first question might be, do I just need to give more? I've challenged our whole congregation to up your giving 1% this year. If you've never given anything to hope, start with 1%. If you're giving 3%, start giving 4%. Some of us give more than 10%, we tithe. If you're giving 15, 16%, up it one more percent. But here's the deal. If all of us would just up our giving 1%, 1%, we would have an extra $3 million next year to invest in what God is doing in the world. Do you think it would make a difference? And maybe you could just say, I, can I start there? Can you be a one percenter? In the good sense of the word, okay? In the good sense of the word. And then here's the second one. God, do I need to rethink my vacation plans? God, do you want me to re rethink my retirement? Or maybe you're in school. God, do you want me to rethink my schooling? God, is it possible that you want me to take a year off because there's something you want me to do in the world? Now, don't tell your parents I told you to think about that, but, you know, you might want to think about that. And we do these things because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for a dying world, not just for this life, but eternity and well. And I really believe that as we begin to trust God with our time and our resources and we become world Christians, the good news is right before our eyes, we get to see a little bit of heaven in this world. I've already kept you long. Let me tell you one story. I didn't share it in any of the other services. But a couple of years ago, when I was in Central African Republic, we were out in the rainforest, and 
I mean, it took us, it took us almost 14 hours to go about 100 miles to get to where we were. And we, 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 we pull into this little village with pygmies and, and Jim says, we're, we're, we're gonna party with the pygmies tonight. And I'm like, okay, that's not like a good time. And so um, we get in there and you can just feel the darkness, the oppression. I mean, they got some kind of wacky weed in the, in the jungle that they smoke and they drink palm wine. They're stoned out of their minds. They're obscene what's going on. Uh, they're unclothed. They're, they really are kind of out of their mind from all the hallucinatory things that they're on. And Jim says, Mike, if you'll drill a well here, we'll get their attention. And then I got a guy who'll come in here and start a church. And let's see what happens. I said, drill the well. So he drilled the well, went back the next year, and I happened to have two guys with me who were on the worship team. And he says, I want you to go back and see this village. So we drove that same 14-hour drive. We got there. They were clothed. Their, their faces were different. And we made a fire, and in one year with their pastor, they would sit there and sing to us one of their worship songs about Jesus. And we would sing back one of our worship songs. And then they would sing back. I mean, it was like, it was like a, a sing-off. You know, who's the best singers? They killed us. They killed us. But they'd sing one, we'd sing one. They'd sing one, they'd sing one. You know what changed that? The well, mm -mm. the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, just got our foot in the door. It says, hey, we love you, we care about you. The gospel changed it. Don't, am I just the only person who wants to get to the end of life and say, I think I actually made a difference. I mean, I made a lot of money, but big deal. Not me, you, you. I got six degrees, big deal. I think God's gonna say, yeah, what have you done for me lately? Or at all, at all. All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for, um, what an honor just to be partnering with you, that you would partner with us. We're sinners, we're frail, we have our issues, and you, you say, you, you're my plan to change the world, and we get to do that. And how foolish of us to think that life is about 60, 70, 80 years that we get to spend on this planet. And we forget the fact that we're going to spend eternity in your presence. Father, I don't know about everybody else. I don't want to walk around for eternity with my head hanging down, trying to avoid your stare. <laughs> because... I was totally focused on me. Give us those kinds of hearts that want to just do everything we can to leverage everything we have for what you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen.